1: welcome to the Adventure Games Podcast. My name is Shorsha Dunbar. I hope everyone is well. And uh, this is the final interview of 2023. And we've had some really fantastic guests uh, this year uh, and previously as well. But the year started with uh, none other than Roberta Williams on the podcast and uh, plenty more truly fantastic guests uh, on as well and uh and what a great way to end this year now with another truly fantastic guest uh he's atta of torpor games the lead developer of suzerain and if anyone who's been listening to this podcast for the last year or two you will know exactly how i feel about suzerain uh a political simulator slash rpg slash adventure game um, i absolutely loved it i played it twice and uh torpor games have just released suzerain 2.0 they made a number of changes and amendments to the game they included uh, a world map to the game and many other differences as well um, and Atta agreed to come on the podcast to talk about all the changes that they made um, he has appeared before a couple of years ago where he spoke about suzerain and uh, how he got started uh, making games and how the idea for suzerain uh, came about so you can listen to that i will include a link in the show notes to that as well and um now he speaks with suzerain 2.0 he speaks about the reception that suzerain has got and uh, talks about a little bit about the future as well including kingdom of rizia the new dlc which right before recording We got a new trailer with a release date announced, which will be 25th of March, 2024. And the trailer looks really, really good. And the game looks really good. I'm really looking forward to playing that. And um, so, uh, yeah. So thank you to all the guests who've been on. Thank you to everyone who's been listening. And, uh, well, um, here is uh, my final interview of 2023 with Ada from Torpor Games. So uh, please enjoy. Well, I am delighted and honored to be joined by Ada of Torpor Games, who was the lead developer of uh, Suzerain. I believe I may have mentioned it once or twice for people who have listened to the podcast. Well, first of all, hello, Ada,
2: how are you doing? Oh, thanks for having me. I'm doing uh, fine. Very, very uh, hard working and busy on our next stuff. Um, oh. Yeah, looking forward to this. Well, that's
1: great to hear because now we spoke a couple of years ago. This was before I had played a uh, Suzerain and since then I played it. And I believe um, now I, I should say I am not contractually obliged to mention it in every episode uh, because I genuinely love your game, Susan. I played through it twice. Again, people who listen to podcasts know how I feel about it. And Matt,, uh, we did a whole episode on his podcast about the game. So if you can listen to that where we go into really spoiler difficulty or ch- chat as well. Uh, so first of all, congratulations to you and the team for making such a fantastic game. It really, really is the game that really struck a chord with well myself and Matt and many other people around the world. So huge congratulations to the team,
2: <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. Um you know, we've also seen the amazing reception and, the community that has formed around it so we're we're very grateful and happy and you know we want to keep doing more of this stuff and build this universe further yeah well
1: that is great uh, to hear now if people want to hear about um you know the the history of your Company and all how it started. You they can listen, you can listen back to our interview two years ago, uh, which was right bang in the middle of COVID. <laughs> uh, a lot of things. And then as we mentioned before, things that are happening in the real world kind of also happen in, in Suzerain, um, depending on the choices you make. But um, but yeah, you touched on there as well the, the universe, and I think one of the reasons why this game was uh was such a success for for me at least, is the world building, which, I mean, you guys have gone to such, such lengths to make this world as, as real and as believable as possible. Uh, but you also have a very good, strong narrative and story. So I suppose my question is, how did you combine the narrative and the world building together? Were there any times when it may be conflicted or do you have to concentrate more on the other? So how did you guys uh, go about that?
2: I think um like the world building and the overall lore really came as a necessity to make the certain perspective and narrative of being a political leader in a fictional country in a you know different universe make sense. And I think you know it was kind of like setting that um outer layer of values and systems and symbols that people, you know, reference their decisions on. We really wanted people to be connected to this country and to the people because that, that was what, you know, Suzerain's concept was. It was very different from a strategy game. It had strategy, you know, it has strategy elements in it, but it was like also trying to tell this human story and human have a human perspective to things. So it really, you know, came as an explosion of you know creativity with the necessity and understanding to create a place where uh, deep decisions and immersion would take place for the player. And then it just like kept on going and going from that point on. Um, there were some elements where we were like, okay, now like, you know, the country's um, narrative necessities dictate that our overall world building would be this way. Um, but there have also been points where we're like, okay, we really want this different thing in our universe, uh, very different from reality. Um, and we wanna, you know, kind of put that in because we just think it's cool and it would be, you know, raising new questions and um, allow us to explore new narratives and things in the future. So it's been a back and forth based on what is important for the experiences we make.
1: Yeah, you mentioned, again, you know, it feels real, but I, I think crucially, while some of the countries, I think you could see that there are elements that are like other countries, uh, there's no one country that is um you know i mean I suppose you have like two countries that are supposed like the ussr back then and uh, the us um but they all have you know different things about them that there is not one that you could definitely say that this is this country because especially um the uh, Swordland, uh, which is your uh, your country uh, in the game Uh, Different people have said it reminds them of different countries. I mean, it reminded me of, well, Ukraine, for example, or Poland, or a country in Central Europe that was tied between East and West. Other people said it reminds them of Turkey. Other people said it reminds them of uh, any country in South America. Uh, So was that intentional? Was it based on any countries or or how did you go about that?
2: You know, um, we really wanted to explain uh, a really intricate story about a developing nation a nation that you know is facing significant amount of struggle um, a nation where ab- abundance is not a thing um because there are a couple of reasons some of the reasons is because we thought um there is like a lot of representation missing in telling the stories and the perspectives of nations that are struggling in the world in our current world but we wanted of course you know add our own twist and Add them to a fictional world. But also, it really makes for interesting choices when there are a lack of resources or a lack of capacity to act and fix things. Um, It creates like a very interesting uh, game design and narrative design opportunity to really push the player to certain very critical choices that could unlock more. Um, So you can't do everything, you have to pick what you can do. And I think that really works because. This is often the case with um, politics as well. It's like, you know, the least worst choice that Mm. politicians make. And I think that has been like an essence and a thing that we've carried in those experiences. Initially, whenever like, you know, when we started coming up with the concept, um, the Syrian Civil War had been uh, at at its peak Uh, It was like in 2016. It was like a lot was happening and there were a lot of influences um, from there uh, because of the certain um, political uh, conflict there that was happening that we thought was like really um, like displaying elements of a lot of what a lot of different nations in in, in the region face. But also then, you know, we had stuff like Trump happen, um, the the whole Supreme Court uh, debates happen and a lot of other things as well. And, you know, we started like adding different elements here and there that we thought would make for an interesting makeup of a country so essentially Sordan is a mix of like elements of a lot of different nations so of course there's you know when some people say turkey there are a few elements that you know like kind of are close there too but none none of them really are 100% like that so it's it's kind of like it's a different mixture of things With our creativity added as a variant to them. So it's kind of like, all right, we want to make something unique, we think this topic is really interesting, but like, you know, um, is there in reality, how can we make this interesting, we can add choices, if we add choices to it and add branching in a storyline, then what type of a narrative would make more sense. And then that's where the creativity would come in. Let's, you know, create this scenario and let's create this variation of it because we think that's more interesting than real life. And then suddenly you have a different uh, makeup of things that feel similar, but also are uh, very different when it, when they all come together.
1: Yeah, certainly. I mean, uh, and, and this game is, I don't know how to describe, political simulator, but there's a narrative choice-based narrative to some... Uh, as you mentioned, some strategy. So uh, I suppose it might be compared to the democracy games, but then this has more of a narrative than those games, from what I know of those games as well. Um, now, since politics, especially nowadays, is such a hot topic, and I believe you, we touched on this, or we mentioned this the last time we spoke, um, That uh, what, did you have any concerns at all going in? Because this is People say, I'm sure developers are told, I've read this and I say, don't make the games political. And uh, big studios saying, our games are not political. They're apolitical. And But this is a political simulator. So d- did you have any concerns going in about some of the reaction from people maybe? Or how did you feel? You know, Because you go all in as well. I must say that you don't, at least from what I could see, you don't really pick sides. The player has the choice to be, kind of leader that he or she wishes to be. But um, but yeah, how did you feel going in when you started making this game?
2: I think it was definitely a very different environment. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I have to say, um, going back on the vision step, because that, that will help me explain this, that you know, we really, um, as a studio, a group of uh, friends and colleagues came together to create entertainment that would talk about our reality, our you know, socio-political, economic, and all types of human experience reality, um, in games. And I think the the key aspect here is to bring um, a bit of reality, uh, of course with its variants, into these experiences, but make sure these experiences themselves are you know standing on their own and are unique for people to really distance themselves from reality. So that's why we created a fictional universe. Because the fictional universe essentially acts as a, a point of detachment from real values and notions. So it adds that like slight layer where you can actually be kind of a bit more free in a in a new world, in a new environment, even though some values from reality are still there. Um, so going in, like, you know, we always wanted to make a political game and like it wasn't it wasn't even a question. Um, it was just a bit more of a uncertainty of, are we, you know are we too much or is this going to like be okay? There was a bit of an um, unknown to be fair with you, but you know, the feedback we'd gotten all around was really good except for of course uh, the industry. I think the industry discussions have been very interesting. Um, I mean, it's been a long time ago and, you know, it's our company, so I can talk about it without giving any names, but overall, um, a lot of the uh, publishers and investors we talked to initially were were scared of making a political game. They were scared of um, kind of having an experience that is so, you know, deeply concentrated of political subjects. And we thought that that was exactly what games needed. Like we think that games are a very powerful medium. I think uh, I mean, from my personal perspective, it is the most powerful medium to me, um because it's about agency. It's about choice. And we think like this is a perfect way to um, have people engaged, learn things that, or change their perspectives and in their own ways, and not really tell them how to do things, but just let them experience how things can happen. And I think that that was a really, really big strength. And how to execute that without, you know, being um, too playful about it or being uh, unserious about it was a thing for us because we had a lot of serious subjects. So we we're like, okay, we cannot you know, make this cartoonish. We can't make this funny. We can have funny moments, but detached mm. from all the serious subjects there are. Um, so we really embraced the semi-realism aspects of um, all the things we've done and the perspective of being a president where you don't see many of the, the things that you do and their and the results and their consequences directly because you're in a place of privilege which is a narrative advantage, because then we don't have to, you know, have all these like moments where, you know, all the all the bad things that could be, you could be doing to people are right in front of you. There are some in the game specifically added to kind of be like, all right, here, you know, you went there, you, you know, made these laws happen, these people are suffering. And now, you know, you can see them and they mm-hmm. can be angry at you. Um, you have those moments, but overall, they're few and far in between, Uh, but there are things happening inside the nation throughout the game that are quite drastic, like, you know, very violent protests, people being murdered, um, like, you know, war being fought, people dying of sickness, of um, suffering under poverty and all these things. You know, like, we think that games are a very powerful medium. And this has been something that our uh, industry has been uh, challenged a lot on. Uh, due to mainstream politics and media and, like, some type of, like, a culture war that had been going on. Um, the reason why I say this is, like, you know, we look at film and TV and, and books, for example, and these mediums cover an array of very complicated subjects, and, you know, when they are censored, you know, it brings up very horrible historical context of, you know, media being censored, but when games are be imposing self-censorship, I think that also shows that our industry doesn't really, um, some of it at least, some of the people in our industry don't really see it as mature or at the same level enough with the other mediums. And I think this is like a really big mistake because games are not only like at, at equal footing, but due to the whole ability of player action and agency they really impact our brains and people at a very different level. So, yeah, I mean, if you look outside, you know, anything you see in Suzerain, you just need to turn on the TV or just Google a little bit for a few seconds and you'll see there in real life. And if you can look away from that, um, then, you know, I think seeing that in a game shouldn't uh, be the cause of concern. Um, of course, it's not for everyone, right? It's it's still, mm. you know, we're in an entertainment industry and people pick their own entertainment. That is all um, as it should be. You know, I play a lot of different games that are unrelated to politics as well. I mean, I do prefer my political games though. Um, but it's just an experience. And I think, you know, if, if people, you know, enjoyed watching The Schindler's List, for example, which is an absolutely amazing movie that broke, you know, my soul whenever I watched it. Or, or, you know, or like Life is Beautiful, for example, these are very dark and gritty movies, um, but you come out of it with a very different impact. And that type of emotional and serious impact is also like the type that, you know, we want to achieve in our games where people play and they come out of it being like, oh, my God, what would I have done in that situation in real life? Like, would, it, would, it, would I really act that way? or how would this person feel in this position I'm going to play as someone else and oh this is how they feel this is how they think and that empathy and that perspective change I think is like something that we strive for and we want to you know keep on making
1: yeah no you've mentioned quite a few great points there um but yeah just touch on one of the points that you mentioned about games you know being entertaining as well as uh you know what they can offer and I I've heard a couple of people who told me that they just want entertainment in games and whenever they delve into serious topics, then it kind of puts them off because they want to just be entertained. Now, I slightly disagree, depending on my mood. And you mentioned about the maturity of the medium. And in my opinion, the only way that games, the games industry can be taken as seriously as books and TV and films is if uh, games delve into these kind of topics, like political topics, like your game. And, you know, there's there was a game that I played about a person who had Alzheimer's. And I, I can totally understand why that game would not be for everyone. Uh, but I think that game should kind of, as you said, they're, they're very powerful because the other forms of media, they're passive. And games are, you're active, you take an active role in. So you are literally the president in <laughs> Suzerain. That they gave. One of the reasons, again, it worked for me is it poses the question, what would you do if you were president? And then it's like, yeah, go nuts. But it also shows you the challenges. And I think it probably does it better than any other medium could because you're making the choices. You're there um, with all the things that you mentioned, the poverty and everything and possible war and uh, pandemic, and you have to deal with them, whereas in other forms of media, you're watching um, as well. So, um, and in in the game, at the very beginning of the game, we don't want to get a spoiler to say things are, you know, things aren't going well for the country. That there is a possible war on the horizon with your neighbor. There is a very serious economic crisis, and there's poverty, and then other things happen as well. So, you are really thrown into the deep end as president. Uh, was this an intentional decision in, in the game to, you know, to add these challenges right from the very beginning?
2: I think the there are a couple of things at play. Like one was the factor of like difficult situations are making for great choices. But um, the other one, as I mentioned before, was the representation of a lot of the world that is, mm. is you know, going through a lot of challenges in these nations and, and you know, um, trying to reflect <clears throat> that perspective. But some of it is also, um, we think it's just interesting gameplay because we like difficult games. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's been a trend in the industry for a certain amount of years where games have just become easier and just like, you know, more and more, they'd become something that's super easy to access, super easy to go through. And there have been a counter trend to this when we've, you know, we've seen a lot of very difficult games come up and be really successful as a counter trend. And, you know, we are part of that counter trend as well. We see that, you know, difficulty in games is is and like a realistic challenge is healthy. And also it's a way of um, expressing like uh, political pragmatism in our context of games of, you know, a lot of the political choices you make have some certain like values that are behind that choice, which is it could be that it could be you know short term benefit long term benefit it could be personal ideological preference it could be a favor for a character it could be for certain resources that you want to have and all those things just become more valuable if there are a lot of problems going on if there are a lot of things to solve it's kind of like you op- you open a game and there're a bunch of quests and all of the quests are like you know very hard to handle and some quests block other quests and stuff like that or influence them so it really Gives you this thing of like, oh, this is like a crisis simulator as well, where you go in and you try to, you know, check and then take these boxes to make these solutions. Um, so there's a, there's a certain bit of charm to it that we, you know, like to keep for our future experiences as, as well, where, you know, the, these games, torpor games, games will be difficult and they will have a set of challenges they're they're realistically difficult, so it's not difficult for the sake of being difficult, it's just circumstantially and narratively also, you know, making sense, and I think it just gives like a good palette for us to uh, create really interesting experiences, because think about it this way, if you would be playing a superpower or some a nation that is like an infinite amount of resources, maybe that's at the top of the world in, in our fictional universe, like maybe the, you know, Janta Contana or uh, the Republic of Arcasia. It would be a very very different game and you would have a lot of resources to do a lot of the things that you like um i think that takes a bit away from like what suzerain offered with swordland where you know which way can i go and then you know exploring how difficult it is in that sense
1: yeah certainly and it's it's, uh i felt that the game didn't judge me for the choices some of the characters did uh they had their own opinions about what um what they thought I should do. But I never felt like the game judged me for whatever decision. But uh, yeah, I mean, Suzerain is quite a challenging game. And usually I prefer easier games. But in this case, I think it just added, as you said, to the experience because it, it. first of all, it made it more realistic that politics is hard. You ask any politician and it doesn't matter if they're progressive or conservative, they have their own challenges. I mean, we have from, you mentioned, Trump and now-time-recording Joe Biden. They both had their own different issues, very different kinds of people as well. Um, And I think that those challenges really added to the game. Um, But, uh, yeah, and you also, uh, you just released a new version of Suzerain, Suzerain 2.0. First of all, before that, I wanted to ask you about the look of the game, because I find the look very interesting that it's on a map and then you choose different locations in the map uh how did you come up with that uh look in the game and uh what why did you uh, choose that uh that look uh for the final version of the game
2: um it's like an interesting thing i mean game development is a journey and this is like uh coming from like a very um industry perspective when you create like a team that wants to do something i mean you make a game it's a lot about what your strengths and weaknesses are as a team and like what each member can bring and can't bring to the table so i think the reason why a lot of indie games succeed is because they the the ones that succeed is because they've really accurately had that perfect match of okay these are our strengths these are our weaknesses and we're going to build something and of course if they get the resources to do it Then they build something that really creates that perfect alchemy of, okay, what's the best that I want to create based on what I have? And I think Suzerain is kind of that. Um, We didn't have a lot of 3D resources in the team when we initially started making it. Um, We noticed that we really wanted to tell stories. We wanted to tell this unique perspective of being a politician, being a president, So that meant that we had to rely on writing and, you know, creating dialogues and and we were really intrigued by building different characters and political discussions in our game. So, you know, we noticed that we need like a really complicated dialogue, uh, which meant multi characters being able to speak and very, a lot of different decisions inside dialogues. But also we thought like, okay, how do we represent a reference point to this world? Because this world doesn't exist, you know, it's like not a real place. So we thought about it, like, how can we do this? And then we noticed that, like, a map would be a really good way because maps are really um, kind of like a basic understanding in a lot of strategy games. Like, a lot of strategy games rely on maps to display their country. So we're like, okay, a map is something we can, you know, do with the resources and with the people we have. And a specific style of map, of course, that's feels like a real map, you know, a real uh, like, as if it's a real place. So it was like, had this realistic approach, not that uh, very high gamey approach, which me- felt made it feel more real. Um, and then we noticed, okay, like, you know, this is probably the president's desk then. And the concept then would be, we're playing their memories actually. Like we're, you know, we're we're at this desk and, you know, they're experiencing these moments and we're looking at the country and we're going through their very key experiences in their life. And then that's how, how the whole concept Somehow came together and it it kind of really clicked.
1: Yeah, no, well, I think it works as well at least for me because it's 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 very visual as well that you can you can then see the different places in the country Sortland, and also the other countries beside you. Uh, so when you hear about you know things that are happening in a country or the you know the poorer areas, uh, you can kind of get a visual understanding of where they are and then the countries as as well so it it really kind of i think it really helped at least for me um now you've since been updating the game i mentioned suzerain yep. 2.0 um that had some change before i asked uh, what the changes are you've also been heavily involved in the community you've been doing what i really like our monthly broadcast uh that you do by by email and that that really helps kind of set the tone that you know okay this this country is real that uh, you continue to uh, to do that so how ha- has the community helped in any way give you you feedback and how to update the game and for the future are you able to tell us uh, what what have uh, any ideas that they have given
2: oh yeah there there have been plenty of um, community engagements and i think you know community has been integral to our journey because as i've said you know a lot of the um, people like especially you know uh, like certain publishers in the industry have been really called towards these types of games um and also a lot of the press initially when Suzerain launched because it was a few days before before Cyberpunk 2077 oh <laughs> uh, had been focused on Cyberpunk but also even you know I don't I don't think even if Cyberpunk wouldn't have been a thing they did they reviewed Suzerain because it really doesn't come across as a like how do you say, like a like an appealing big press title. Um it's very content driven and it's very deep. So it's because it's really hard to display branching without being really cheesy. You know, you can do like a flow graph trailer or this and that, but it really takes away from this personal experience that we were trying to create, right? This is not like, you know I've you know, I ticked these boxes and I'm here. Um, so the press really came like way later, and the very few press that noticed it uh, actually didn't like put a review score on the game. Um, they more did podcasts or like they did articles on it. Um, so it was mostly the community that actually really you know started this uh, whole thing to be you know successful when it when it came to the game launch because uh, when it dropped, we suddenly had like a, nearly a thousand one hundred players concurrent on launch evening. A total of I think 3,600 people played the following 24 hours, which is quite a lot for this type of a game, right? So it was the community and the players and the people that you know bought the game um, that really you know helped us out. And following that, and also before that, um, you know, we had loyal community members who helped us test Suzerain before launch. That was really critical. You know, the bills and decisions panel. some things that some some stuff that we've been talking about but we weren't like you know um we weren't so sure so like we gave the community a survey before launch it was like seven months before launch where they said oh you know they'd love to have like some something like this and then you know we decided to add them and you know there's been a lot of decisions like that and post launch specifically uh the community you know had um uh, worked with us on a national anthem contest and allowed us to, um, you know, pick an anthem uh, out of a lot of the good ones that had been written, and we tried to incorporate it. And we actually, in the 2.0 update, um, took a verse of it and recorded it in the studio and added it to the game as a sound effect in one of the scenes. Um, so that, and you know, we had different type of art contests. Uh, we had like um, a big, big uh, couple of surveys that helped determine our Uh, upcoming strategy regarding Suzerain's journey um, and, you know, what type of content they'd like to see, uh, what type of price they're comfortable uh, paying for different type of experiences, um, what type of languages they would like to have in the game and so forth. So the community has been really essential, like from RP sessions to spreading spreading it around the world, to creating fiction for countries that are in our extended world map, to creating characters, short stories, um, you know, essentially, it's impossible for us as a company to create an entire universe. Like it has to be as like a larger movement with this community. And we come to also like really make it integral in our operations uh, because you know we still are a very, very, very niche game, and we're trying to like make this a much larger thing. Um, but due to that certain condition, we really cannot do all at once. We have to really go step by step and be really calculated with our resources and approach. So the community is like an incredible resource that can create, you know, contents on different sides and add to this universe and give us ideas because it's just a constant explosion of, you know, a lot of creativity and ideas that reflects back on itself and evaluates itself as well through like just the the democratic process and I think it's a true strength. Um, I always like to tell this to the community as like we want to stick to the um, developer guided community supported approach like that's kind of like our way of doing things which is we want to set the direction for this universe we want to you know do the main brushstrokes but we also want the community to then fill around it as much as possible as well. We want to give them the ability to do so. So there are a lot of things that needs to happen to fully, you know, get it, get into that strategy and that design of how that could be. But we already see a lot of the groundwork happening right now.
1: No, well, that's that's fantastic. And I think, uh, you know, what you mentioned, it shows the importance of uh, working with the community and communicating. Because that's what I see some developers a uh, mistake that they make. And I know it's it is a lot of work and I know from the podcast point of view, but I think it is really important to make people feel part of a community, which I think you guys do uh, incredibly well. and um and I believe I saw it one of the I believe it was one of the videos that you did. It may have been last year, just to give one example. And I believe you mentioned that, uh, for example, the war that can happen in the game. That, did you did you say that you didn't uh, originally intend for to do much about it, but then, based on community feedback, you added more to it? Am I, am I correct in saying that, or am I misremembering?
2: Yeah, the so the initial idea with the war was that we'd had we had an epilogue that would basically just describe how it ended, um, and then there is a lot of demand regarding the war post-launch, the initial Suzerain launch, and we were like, okay um let's just embrace this and let's build more on it and we ended up like expanding the war a bit but um eventually it wasn't really fully enough to get the full war experience but it was enough to really satisfy the demand for the time being and I think that's the interesting thing about community interaction with post-launch suzerain the stuff we've added different content pieces and also with the 2.0 update that I'm going to be talking about a bit as well um we we really embrace this approach of let's figure out what the community wants most. Let's see what we can actually deliver or want to deliver, because there's always an aspect of like, you know, sometimes what the community wants is just something that it's impossibly difficult to realize due to the lack of financial resources, but also the creative resource that you know that creators have and, and development teams have. So we, you know, take a lot of in. And then we kind of prioritize and realize, okay, this is something we want to do. We actually, you know, financially or resource-wise can do it. And, you know, the community wants it as well. <clears throat> so let's add that bit. There are also some things that the community, you know, has never thought about or wanted that we've added that have worked. Some of the stuff that has been, you know, received um, uh, like with a mixed reception as well um overall a very positive but there had been some people that didn't like some stuff and then we kind of went on iterated and fixed those so there's a lot of conditions and like back and forth in that relationship between the community but essentially you know the the reality is in this industry a lot of the big financial resources and the big investments just are not being made to, into these types of games and companies so community is like the key resource of a lot of indie studios and without The community and the mass of people that are supportive, um, these journeys are not possible, I would say.
1: Yeah, which is a shame that your kind of companies and companies who make these kind of games aren't generally supported by big kind of publishers. I think they should probably take more risks like this because, um, you know, we kind of do need more, you know, you mentioned diversity and variety, I think. For the industry to continue to not well it's, the industry is going well enough, but yeah, there are issues uh, shall we say, but anyway, you mentioned suzerain two point so uh what can you tell us about this um so you've made some changes uh I believe it's an amendment update uh what what can people expect in this game that wasn't in the in the first version of the game
2: I mean <laughs> A lot of things happen. I can start with a few uh, key points. Um, So for us, it was really important to um, get the whole lore and the world into the game. And when we released the extended map, we knew that we had to add it to the game because we thought that, you know, Suzerain and the 2.0 strategy and 2.x strategy um, actually is about building a, a universe and like building a part of a universe and you know, Suzerain was really enriched by the neighboring nations and the interactions between those, but it was not a geopolitically focused game. It had geopolitical elements in it. It had like a bit of everything in it, which worked really well. Um, When the map came out and the reception had been really great, we thought, okay, we have to add the world map, the extended world map into the game. And that's what we've added. So now we have a proper world map and we have all the new nations that we're going to be adding in Rizia in 2.0. Um, So you can see a bit of their, a a bit of information about those countries, kind of like, you know, what their culture is, what, you know, what type of codex article they have, what type of flag they have. Um, And you also get messages and reports from those countries based on certain, or or certain actions. So the whole experience has really kind of like expanded. So even though you're playing Suzerain, now you're getting more news from around the world and more interactions from around the world. So that's been like a big thing. So the table has, you know, has grown. but <laughs> the table is getting longer. It's it's kind of like Putin's table. Um, and <laughs> it's basically you have the local map, and then you have the world map on the left. And we've added a lot of three D objects to decorate the table, so the game is visually much more pleasing to look at. Um, and on top of that, we've added something called the factions. So like you can see the two superpower factions on the map now. They have their own reports and they have their own news coming from those tokens. So you can actually read on what if a certain faction says. Um, and we've completely overhauled the UI and UX of the game. We really thought that the whole singular approach of, you know, I can only have my dialogue panel and the codex open. We thought that that was not actually the experience we wanted to deliver. Uh, we wanted to have the dialogue open, but also be able to access like the overview, the situations, and and the policies, or like the cabinet. Like we wanted to be able to you know access different panels while the dialogue was open. So we really changed the the whole user experience as well, alongside the UI and the and the visual of the of the interface. So now it allows us to actually consume information in a much more dynamic way. We had to make some sacrifices. It meant that you know the panels got a bit smaller because there had been two panels on the same screen now instead of just one and slightly central one. But I think the, it's it's a much better uh, ex- experience. Um, yeah, and beyond that, we've added um, completely like 12 new dialogues. We've added, I think like nine decisions. We added multiple new builds. Um, so there are new storylines that actually connect to our DLC, Rizia, um, which is like an interesting point we can actually discuss further as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a big tech upgrade. So a lot of uh, Suzerain's content was in different JSON files, which were really difficult to navigate. And some of it was in Unity's database inside like the Unity structure, which meant that when we wanted to edit stuff, we had to go around a lot even though it was like not technically necessary, but it really slowed down our development. And a lot of the the flow structure of how the game flows and stuff, which was very complicated, as you can imagine in a game like that, um, had been really like rigid. So we've completely reworked the technical database and we've put them into a, a tool that is much easier to access access that we use. This allows us to have like faster development speeds. Um, it also allows for modularity and even opens the capacity to be able to mod in the future. So I think we've made a lot of these groundwork changes that just allow us to do more and faster and better in the future. Uh, We've also added status effects. So these are like new um, indicators on tokens, which allow you to see like some local changes to your decisions. And so, so some certain cities might have, for example, Um, decreasing unemployment or like you know polio pandemic and stuff so now you can actually click on tokens and cities and or even countries and see what the active status is there this allows like the player to navigate the map a bit more interact a bit more on the three in this inside the 3d space I think this makes things a lot more interesting also increases play time for people but just makes the whole experience a bit more digestible We've added sound effects to key story moments. So we had more, like, we now have more than 30 sound effects in the game that play in in key story moments. And I think that made the game somehow more real when I played it. And I was like, whoa, this feels like I'm actually there for some reason. Mm. And, you know, that was, that was like a really nice touch. Um, We added gamepad support. So we have like a proper gamepad support now. Uh, We have full Steam Deck support. Um, which is amazing. So now people can enjoy it on the Steam Deck. We added font and uh, we added UI scaling and we added three different fonts as well as um, different type, uh, typewriter animation toggle. So you can actually customize the experience of it. The visuals are much better. Everything is higher res in the UI, um, including all the art that we have. Uh, we added all the new lore we've created for um, Rizia that is re- relevant to Suzerain and Swordland um and we've added lore from the conformist the prequel game we're working on that we'd created um to expand a bit on swordlands past in the 20s and 30s um and expanded more about the former presidents as well um i've worked a lot on the economic storyline so now the economic gameplay is much more diverse and varied um, it's much more okay to go into debt because you can come out of it now and there are other sacrifices you can make Um, a bit more difficult it looks in the initial experience but I think overall it's more flexible so you can actually kind of like fall and you know rise up again in, uh, in comparison to the previous design which was a bit more like if you had done a few mistakes it would be really hard to come back now there are a few things that really help you come back and um yeah, like, it's a, it's a huge list. It's it's like eight to nine months of work that we've done on it. So it's quite a lot of work. Um, but we think it sets the groundwork for um, for more things to come and more things to come faster with more features, much more um, content, as well as, like, uh, better audiovisual representation. Yeah, no,
1: after uh, playing through a little bit of Suzerain 2.0, I can confirm what you said, some of the changes that are very visible as well. I think it is, you mentioned, it's clear now as well when you click. What I liked is when you click on the different uh, cities and towns in Sordland, you can, at a glance, you can see, you know, the population and which party uh, the mayor is part of and all of that. I think this kind of like helps you when you're making decisions as well uh, throughout the game. So so yes, a huge amount of work has gone into uh, Caesar Rain 2.0. Um, so congrats on that. And one of the other changes that uh, you mentioned on the, one of the broadcast emails is with the save game that it is auto save for the get uh, for the I believe the first time you play and then the second time you play. I believe you add uh, manual saves there possible. Yes. I wonder if you could talk about that uh, a little bit why you decided to make manual saves a second time playing and. You know, what is your thought process behind that?
2: It's been really interesting because like, you know, the initial point I mentioned was making hardcore games that are a bit more on the difficult side. Um, you know, our idea was that this is a very specific experience. It's 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 like an immersive experience of being a president and being able to load and go back on your choices and do all these things. Uh, initially, we thought of it would be detrimental of the experience. And we still think that the game should be experienced as is for like the first playthrough, at least. So we came up with this middle way solution of like, you know, OK, we are an Iron Man game. We're accepting this. Um, and we call we call it Torpor mode, actually, for our 2.0 launch. So Torpor mode actually is basically you have to finish the game once. Once you have a completed playthrough, the Torpor mode unlocks so you can actually turn it off. So basically, that allows you to save at any point, at any checkpoint you want, which then you can load back into. Um, and with that, it's interesting. We've also added turn saves, so you do have a default turn save that you can always go back to, regardless if you play play through the game once or not. That's always available, so you can actually go back. And you can also reload your checkpoints. So if you misclicked on a an option in a scene, you can always press escape and load checkpoint, regardless of having the fin- having finished the game once as well. So. Certain things we've added just to, you know, make the game a bit more accessible and like, you know, those things have been there a while anyway, especially last checkpoint had been there for a year and a half. Um, but the ability to always save manually and load, that's something new with 2.0 after you've finished your first playthrough. And also, um, which some players have been noticing, and this is some new information, is that um, essentially when you create a new game right now, you're creating like a storyline, Um, and this means that there are multiple saves within this storyline. So when you create a new game, you're essentially creating a completely new storyline, and this kind of connects to a few things that I'm going to mention about Rizia later, but the idea is that um, we want to have uh, save game transfer between our experiences in a very specific set of conditions, uh, which I'll explain. But overall, yeah, that's uh, what happened with 2.0 regarding the save system. And uh, you know, we've seen a lot of players come back um, with those changes with that big update. And we broke our launch concurrent um, per day record. Like, you know, I mentioned we had three thousand six hundred people the twenty four hours uh, after launch. Um, and actually, with two we had, I think five thousand six hundred. So we see we saw quite a bit of um, the number of increase um, so many years after the initial game launch. Uh, so yeah the 2.0 update has been has been received very very well um yeah
1: well i'm i'm delighted to hear i did, didn't think it was possible to improve on the original but you've proven that it is so um <laughs> <but> <laughs> delighted to hear that it's uh, doing very well so Suzerain 2.0 is available now uh where is
2: it available so we released 2.0 on steam and pc only so this is like steam epic gog um and our mobile and Switch versions are still on the 1.9 version. And we're going to look at updating those next year. Um, and it comes to the previous point. We can't do all at once. Of we course. Really concentrate uh, our energies at the right place. Um, but yeah, so you can grab it on Steam, uh, Epic, and GOG. I highly recommend Steam. Um, we have some cool things on Steam. Um, yeah.
1: Cool. So that's Suzerain 2.0. We will put links in as well at least to the official website and for more information as well so now you mentioned that you're also working on a dlc the kingdom of rizia um i believe so well i'll leave it over over to you because i don't want to give any potential i haven't played this game but um so what what is kingdom of rizia and uh, who do we play as and what what's the setting of of this game?
2: So the kingdom of Rizia is essentially a kingdom two nations south of Swordland. It's south of Lesbia, actually. You play as King Romus Taurus uh, of the Taurus family, a lineage that's been ruling Rizia for a long time. Um, It's a very difficult time in in Rizia's history as well. It had recently lost two territories, Um, one land leased to the Velen um, country and one actually completely lost that had become the Grand Duchy of Palace on the southern border, which used to be old, Volgish empire territory. So um, this nation is actually a very interesting nation. It's very energy resource dependent and its economy runs a lot on natural resources. So, um, you know, Swordland still had a lot of economic uh, diversity, whereas uh, Rizia has a, a clear focus point on gas exports. That's like one of their key exports, gold and wine. So it's a very interesting uh, kingdom to rule over. Um, it has a relatively developed economy and it has a very different set of challenges. It's a Ruhesis country, which is a different uh, version of Nurity, the religion uh, that is the, the 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 bigger branch of um, the ones that we played in Swordline as well, um, and in this experience we're really focusing on the geopolitical aspects um, of diplomacy. I think this has been like a thing that really we wanted to do more of, and really with you know Suzerain couldn't do, uh, even though Suzerain had a lot of geopolitics. Um, we thought that it would be really interesting to dive deeper into the. You know, deal making, negotiating, and changing an entire region. So, Rizia really focuses on that. It also, of course, has its set of internal issues, as you know, you must have in these types of experiences. It's set in 1950. So, essentially, four years before the suzerain experience starts when you become president. Um, And it ends close to the end of suzerain. So, you play a few more years. And you actually experience very different events. So it's a very, very different take on uh, what we've done, but it's also familiar in a good sense, as in it has some of the same formula with different variants. We're focusing a bit more on other things this time. And we're exploring new narratives that we didn't before, which really excite us, but it is a more smaller experience. It's a more condensed experience. And that is why we've decided to go with the DLC because suzerain took four and a half years to make (laughs) so it's quite a lot of effort and time and a lot of it and essentially initially was free time that we spent to make it happen um and we noticed that it wouldn't be possible to deliver an experience as big as that in that similar time frame we are in right now but also we thought that it's not really necessary since we've already have delivered it so it's all about figuring out what do we want to tell, what will be interesting, and how can we really start making this first step into building like a larger universe?
1: Yeah, no, I think it's interesting that now, as you mentioned, this time we'll be um, uh, playing as the rulers of another country um, that has you know, similar but different issues that, uh, that he faced as president of Swordland. Um, so, and it's, it around a similar time as well. So have you thought about, um, maybe going back in time, uh, to another, I know you we'll talk about the conformists in just a bit, but, uh, I, I don't know if you're able to, to answer this question, but have you thought about different time periods for DLCs as well? Or, or do you have any ideas that you're able to mention? If not, not to worry. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I mean, we, we discussed a lot of things and, and there are some like, Personally, I want to see something set like 200 years ago, and certain mm. I have some ideas, but it is really um, it really detaches from this certain time frame we are built, and I think. Mm. Our current vision is about really getting this slice of history in the Saeserian universe and really expanding on it and making it making it detailed. And this has been interesting in 2.0 as well. We've added some world events and certain perspectives um, into the 2.0 experience. Like we added more lore from United Contana and Arcasia, for example, and expanded. We have like two big powers that we've added to the world that are like kind of also have their place and are very unique. And it's um and it's a very small time frame in this universe. It's like you know we're talking about four years in in Swordlands experience, and it's interesting how people perceive those things because they have no reference of what came before or what can come after. So we're are we really interested in like kind of like you know we've set these things in stone, these events that have occurred and this superpower struggle, as well as like this this change of of the global dynamics and this you know, continental politics that is very dominant in the Suzerain's world. Um, and like, how can we really change the perspectives now? Like, because we've said something from Swordland's perspective, there are some truths to the world that we've said, but a lot of the things are from Swordland's perspective. So with Rizia as well, like if if we would have gone too far, we would have really detached from those values and the different perspective we could have built on it. And we would have established a new narrative thread, which is also fine. But I think it's more interesting to view the same universe from a very different angle and actually increase the perspectives and angles. Because at its essence, Suzerain was, I think, successful because it had role playing and it represented different perspectives and angles of a political spectrum and also personal and psychological and philosophical spectrum. But it just represented different angles. And I think taking that approach and going to different countries and showing the world, the same world from different angles can make a much more enriching universe and experience. Yeah, no, that's
1: definitely very, very true. Well, I look forward to uh, seeing what else we can see in this in this timeline as well. I mean, it'd be, I think it'd be interesting, as I mentioned, being leader of different countries. I mean, Velen would be very interesting. Um, <laughs> how I mean,
2: to? You'd be surprised because uh, Rizia has actually uh, certain elements where you get to interact with uh, Mr. Smaller quite a bit.
1: Yeah, he he was, uh, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, he was certainly uh, um, an interesting character in in Suzerain.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, in Rizia's perspective, Rizia is part of the Grace um, informal alliance, and that is like something we've added with the 2.0 update. It's like a loose economic, cultural um, alliance of monarchies around the world that are sticking together to resist like the change that had happened in the century of revolutions. And I think that really makes it interesting because Rizia as a starting position is part of Grace, and actually um, we are we are related to Queen Beatrice in in some form, in some <laughs> connection. So uh, I won't go into more details on that but you know <laughs> we're really we're really trying to open new perspectives on existing characters as well so we have a new cast but we still have some of the old cast still hanging around and and we're really opening up new angles and we try to really you know broaden people's horizons about oh you know I thought this about this person but you know from this perspective everything kind of looks different and based on your role play that might also change Yeah interesting
1: when i look forward to to playing it, and uh, which uh, do do you have any time frame more or less? And again, I know that this is not set in stone; that different things can happen in game development. But do you have any time frame that you would like to release the game, or or when it's
2: done? I mean, the last date we've been talking about was is end of year, and we're like really set on that timeline. So we're we're working towards that, unless something really crazy happens. That will be our date. Um, because essentially everything is planned around that. So it will be out um, at the end of the year.
1: Okay, so good. Hopefully Christmas time we can hopefully play it, but we shall see whenever uh, whenever it's it's done. Uh, now before, I know i have kept to you quite a while now, but you also mentioned um, the Conformist. And th- this looks interesting because this looks very different to the to Suzerain and Kingdom of Rizia, Um, So what can you tell us about this game? So first of all, when is this game uh, set?
2: So the Conformist is actually our kind of like a dream project. Um, The idea with the Conformist is that sticking to the similar principle of changing perspectives, just like how Rizia changes the perspective of the Suzerain universe in around the 1950s time, uh, from Swordland to this certain monarchy... Uh, We want with The Conformist to change the perspective in two levels. One is um, this is not a country management game anymore. It is a certain life sim plus political movement management game. And it also takes you back 20 years in Swordland and specifically focuses on Hulsort, the capital, where, you know, in Suzerain, you mostly live and make the big political decisions. But here, 20 years before the first multi-party elections are coming, and Tarkin Soth had won the civil war, he's united the countries, trying to restore stability, there's a lot of chaos that had happened, and people are trying to figure out a way forward, and the first multi-party elections are coming, and you're playing Orvin Mist, and you're in the capital, you're in the New Arlory district, and you can join different factions. You start with the government state educators and actually can join different factions to then try to change uh, the outcome of the elections, but also your life. So it's a very different game. It's a much more of a role-playing game, actually. It has stronger role-playing elements. It still has a very distinct political center and core. Um, It focuses on these four factions that are essentially helping the parties that we know in Suzerain uh, that are pretty popular and something that had been destroyed until Suzerain happens. Um, and it's it's a very different perspective and experience. We really hope to reach a larger audience, a, a bigger audience, and introduce them to the Suzerain universe. We also want to explore like certain Suzerain characters and how they were 20 years ago. And we have a lot of interesting narrative ideas and already have some concepts about what, you know, certain key characters were doing at the time. And, you know, everything is kind of laid out. So it will be very interesting to see the younger versions of um, certain characters that people have grown to like uh, downtown and stuff like that. So it's a really uh, exciting project for us. Um, Yeah. Yeah, no,
1: certainly is. Uh, very exciting, and uh, I mean, you mentioned as well. This is that also. This is uh, you control you you control a character, and this this is more. It looks I don't want to say traditional, but like, uh, is it a third person game in this case?
2: Yeah, it's a it's a top down. It's a kind of like an isometric uh, right. Yeah, look um, where you can traverse, and it's it's a semi sandbox experience. So it, it, you can actually. Um, go around and talk to characters and do requests and stuff like that. It's still in very early stages and we're looking for um, like support and realization of the project. So we're still in that like early stage process, but um, we're really excited by the concept because this time we want to show how political movements form from the ground up and change society and change the city. And I think that that is something that is really exciting because in Suzerain, we showed how change happens from the top down and the certain complexities of it. Here, we want to show how does an individual change society and like, how does it actually happen? And it's a really, really interesting uh, premise, I think.
1: Yeah, no, it sounds fascinating anyway. And you, you, you did mention a very early stage. So I presume it's, that's a few years off, I take it.
2: Yes, yes. Yeah, so. these, these, these are like, you know, as I said, Suzerain took four and a half years to make it. It wasn't even <laughs> 3D. Um, so this this is probably gonna take a while as well. I hope not that long, but sure.
1: Well look, good things come to those who wait. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um is there and again, that's quite a lot that you're working on. Um is, is there anything else that you're able to mention or tease about uh The future of the suzerain universe or again you've already met you're already working i mean i'm tired just listening to what you guys are are working on but is there is there anything that you're able to tease about what you'd like to do the suzerain universe or or anything at all
2: (laughs) i mean you know the the interesting thing is right we as a studio uh we're really excited to experiment and 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 change things up um this is something that we want to take to our core in essence and i think Maybe Hopefully, you know, it came across in the different type of experiences we're trying to create. One thing I can tease and actually talk about is like with the Rizia DLC, we're experimenting with like a few different things. Um, One of them is actually we're in the process of trying a war mechanic. So we're um working on building a system to represent one of the conflicts in the game. And uh, it's something if it works out, we want to use for other things, which I'm not going to get into because that would be promising a bit too much, but Mm -hmm. uh, we're really excited by, you know, pushing our skills and abilities as developers and like being excited to, you know, experiment and trying to add these experiences into our games. So when we make new things, we will try to healthfully experiment and add to stuff. Um, And this is something that drives us. So, our goal with uh, Rizia and, of course, like the upcoming 2.0 uh, strategy, is that every time we build something new, and we are concepting the next nation after Rizia already, um, that we would add something that is bespoke and unique to that DLC. So you won't get the same experience or the same perspective in in Swordland and Suzerain's base game. Um, we really, really want to, you know, change it up, like do something that's a bit odd in the industry. Um, of where, you know, even the DLCs are feeling very different. Um, and with the Conformist specifically, um, that's like a larger strategy for us to, you know, figure out how to do 3D, figure out how to do all these complicated game development things that I think a lot of, of course, it's not that interesting, maybe from a consumer perspective, but, you know, games are really difficult to make. And it's a lot of consecutive um, skill and learning and like certain resources, you know, clicking at the certain... Right time. And the conformist for us, for example, was a big leap. And without the conformist, 2.0 wouldn't have happened because a lot of the things we've learned in making new UI and UX and a lot of the technical improvements that happened in 2.0 were thanks to the conformist prototype. And I think that those things are really uh, key for us to move forward as a studio. So the more we push the hopefully you know we end up creating better experiences and more interesting experiences for our players and uh, we want to just keep on building in this universe for like many many years to come and we invite kind of everyone on this journey of you know how do you build a universe Uh, because we have plenty of nations we have plenty of characters we have plenty of timelines and codex articles, and, you know, people can visit our Suzerain Universe codex and actually explore all the new 2.0 lore as well that we've added. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, we just want to do more, and we're working really hard to make it happen. Uh, for us, this is like a journey. It really is like um, an opportunity, and it's like, a you know, we're very blessed and happy that, you know, we've been able to do it so far. We just hope to do more of it and see how how where the road takes us. And you know, um we're really thankful to everyone that helped us around um this journey and you uh, know made it happen and supported us and shared our stuff, including you. thanks for all the kind words no no um,
1: worries th- th- thank you for making the game <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> yeah. uh uh no definitely i mean it's uh i i i mean I wish you nothing but luck to you and the team and i I really cannot wait uh to well to play the games in future um and and again a huge congratulations on suzeraino making one of well at least one of my favorite games the last few years and as i said other people have said the same matt also loved the game from the podcast so it's clearly working for quite a few people um and where can people find more about you guys and the game so uh as wondering if you could now we will include links As I mentioned, but uh, what's the website for people listening where they could find out more uh, about you guys? You can check
2: us out um, on www.torporgames.com. That's T O R P O R games.com. And we have like all the links to everything there. We have like the links to both of the games. We also have the company page. So you can check our broadcasts there under the broadcast tab. Um, and you can find us on our subreddit that has surpassed ten thousand people recently. Wow! Which is amazing. We're getting like a million views every month now on the subreddit, which is insane. <laughs> wow! It's, it's really, it's really bustling with activity, and you can join us on our Discord. We have like four thousand four hundred people. We have activities. We have people discussing stuff, um, and it's the suzerain Universe Discord, and the suzerain subreddit, um, both places are open, and um, you can also subscribe to our newsletter. Uh, check us out on YouTube on our page. Um, we're very uh, communicative, so uh, especially on Discord, you can have like a lot of chats, and you know we as developers sometimes come in and do like Q and A sessions and impromptu sessions with the community alone, and we have like great attendance and really good chats. So um, yeah, feel free to seek us out, and um, yeah. Cool. Well, I
1: think that definitely I would definitely recommend that people uh subscribe to the newsletter to get the monthly broadcasts and uh and yeah, definitely to to encourage you to speak with you guys uh to find out more. Um so now uh before we finish up, I just want to get to know what kind of games you mentioned that you like to play different kinds of games as well. So first of all, what kind of games are are there any games in particular that you really enjoyed playing? Um previously uh yourself or or your team Let, let's start with you what kind of games do, do you like playing yourself um, in your free time
2: yeah that's a good question so i i i really still like my tactical shooters so i like like squad for example um i used to be a really big old time project reality player which was a mod for battlefield 2 back in the day that made it really realistic and teamwork focused and all this stuff and that mod eventually turned into squad which is the current like one of the top tactical shooters um uh, on steam and i you know I, I really enjoy playing that and really getting into a session and like meeting people and you know doing voiceover talks and like it's really cool to suddenly be in a really engaging environment with like that serious combat tone but like that also communication and like you're know, trying to reach objectives not to have a lot of score or something so it's more about teamwork and team play um other than that i enjoy my story games now and then um you know i i really like um certain narrative games like you know the witcher 3 is a good example i know cyberpunk those types of games really sometimes to disappear into i think are really good for me um but of course there are not that many of them so you know you can't really have them all the time mm-hmm. but when they come out they'll have a lot of content so that's that's something and i also like paradox games um you know i i used to be a big time hot and three player and then four player um love crusader kings 3 for example absolute brilliant like strategic story generator um more of a systems game but i really enjoy the experiences it provides um and yeah the smaller indies as well right the the smaller like narrative indies but also things that kind of like break the whole expectation regarding like what can be done in the medium um like specifically you know games like Orwell really touched me and mm. stuff like experiences that you really like become someone else and it really 100% embraces it a citizen sleeper is also like one of those games that are really
1: cool another and- one i have to try
2: <laughs> yeah um and yeah a couple more like those but Overall I think like I'm around those. I used to play a lot of Rocket League but I stopped playing because I absolutely got frustrated over time because it's just you know you can never be good in that game and every <laughs> time you think you're good the algorithm kind of
1: ch- uh it. changes it.
2: Yeah, and it's play, like yeah. Suddenly you you're with like the championship masters and like are like, okay, this is just a set this is just a Thursday evening. I want to relax. Yeah. Now yeah. I'm sweating <laughs> in front of the screen, trying to bit like a ESL champion on the third season or something. Like it's it's yeah, it's <laughs> it's funny that one. The team overall, like it's very different. Like, of course, um, like you know, we have a lot of Discalysium fans as well in the team. Yes. Um <laughs> And it's interesting that we've been chatting with some of their editors and writers uh, over the last years. so it's, it's been good to have those chats with them as well as people. Very, very interesting. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of strategy as well. One of our um, developers really is a big World, World of Warcraft player and really is too hooked. <laughs> <laughs> I've really-
1: heard that from people that they kind of, they can't get away from it.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's a very social game as well. I think that's why mm. we're. I mean, it's kind of like Eve Online. I used to, I used to play Eve Online back in the day for like ve- very, very intense, intense, intensively. And I think, you know, it's really hard to get away from those games when people rely on you and you have like a corporation to run. Mm. and There's <laughs> a guild budget and there's like stuff to figure out. Um, but yeah, so we we have like quite a bit of um, different range of um, experiences.
1: Yeah, nice, nice, nice. Yeah, variety of of games and. Um, I mean, since we've spoken about world building in your games, in Suzerain, um, is there any game world that you would like to visit? Any game that you've played? uh, Is there any of those worlds that you would like to pop in and visit
2: by any chance? Oh, I mean, this is a good question. So. Like I'm thinking about like whatever way I answer, it's gonna be interesting. So mm. I I'm a big Stalker fan. Like um, I really love the Stalker series as a game. Like it's like post-apocalyptic, um, dangerous world with like mutants and anomalies and and all that stuff. And there's something nostalgic and that there's something that draws me in. It's kind of also like the Metro series. I get drawn into those games like for some reason. But like if I could experience without all the pain and suffering. Uh, I would, I would experience the world of, of stalker, I would say like the zone and that having like that, that survivor lifestyle and and being a loner and stuff. I think that, that there's something to it. Um, And the other ones, like I I have a few others that I would really like to to experience, but um, one would be if, I mean, if mods count the Kaiser Reich universe, I think is really, really beautiful and very different and very like. You know, alternate history, and I think that's something interesting to see. Like, you know, Germany staying as an imperial power and becoming like a like a like a sluggish superpower of the world as an empire, and not uh, like everything that happened around World War II not happening, and all these other countries shifting in different political directions, and the world just being a very very different place. I think that's that would be something amazing to observe um, to see what would happen in the world. And living in, of course, like a more neutral country. So, you know, I don't get impacted by it, but but just like, you know, what would that storyline be like? Um, and yeah, I would say definitely like those two. And of course, I would say The Witcher as well. The Witcher 3's mm. world is, is absolutely amazing. The book, of course, is, is great as well. But there's some kind of that uh, dark charm as well there between all the color and like the magic and all that stuff. Yeah, and what would yours be? Like, where would you rather go? I
1: to? mean, that's a very good. Tr- throwing it back on me now. <laughs> I mean, the, the thing that I, I see about the, the worlds, whether it's uh, games or TV series, the ones that I find most interesting, I'm not sure I'd like to visit because, you know, it's typical in Game of Thrones in Westeros, but then I'm like, I would probably die <laughs> uh, very, very quickly if I go t- uh, to Westeros. Um, and then there's, I mean, there is. I'm not saying because you made it, but Suzerain, But then again, I'm like, depends on which part. I mean, how kind of like rich I would be. I don't want to be like poor person. In Swordland for for example, I don't think it would be good. Uh, yeah, you don't, start,
2: I don't think you would want to be a, like a poor bloodish minority. No,
1: in, it uh, wouldn't, yeah. especially if I was uh, president uh, in my second playthrough, particular, where I just <laughs> went full dictator. <laughs> yeah. um, it's and uh, then there, what, what was the what was the another one? I I think well, Disco Elysium, of course. Yeah. Uh, but again, you know that world as well. It kind of was a bit depressing um but uh and then there's other ones the uh the um, well walking dead again i would be i would die very quickly and i don't think i want we had a very small version of that with covid i don't want to go back to that <laughs> um so maybe post apocalyptic is not the way to go and then the the one that i the game that i just played in tv series i'm watching the books and the expanse um that I love that world as well. Again, I'm not sure if I would, if, if I could just visit, but know that everything would be okay, that, you know, I would not be killed by either pirates or anything in that world. Um, and yeah, I think the June from what I know, I've seen the first movie was part one. Uh, uh, but again, I'm not sure. I'd like to visit that world. I like to visit, but knowing that everything would be okay. So yeah. But I think that's what kind of draws me to kind of worlds where there are conflict and, as you mentioned, crisis as well. But if I was really in those worlds, I think I would I would suffer a lot.
2: <laughs> I think I think this does tell something um, to analyze as well. Like you know, the worlds because I think I think we're intrigued by by these things. You know, like mm. worlds are a difficult worlds that have a lot going on that, are, that, that, you know, desire a lot to be understood, I think is is the word. And mm. I think the, that really shows us that, you know, humans have this like interest in these, these different complicated worlds. Um, and, you know, we don't want to suffer the consequences, but we <laughs> want to experience them. Absolutely. And, you know, it's it's quite it's quite interesting, and I think Game of Thrones is also a good example. Like I'm I'm really glad that that show happened because that really pushed a lot of boundaries, I think, in media. But also absolutely, it, and
1: it's, it was inspiration, I think, for
2: yeah, it it was it was absolutely absolute inspiration for every for a lot of people because like it was so gritty, it was so real, it was so medieval, but not at the same time. But yeah, I would love to see those places. But as you said, you know, like I think that that's the that's the clause. The clause is. We we can't well, die. Yeah, you wouldn't be you wouldn't be affected by the negative elements of this universe unless you wanted to.
1: Exactly, I think that's. Uh, but it's like, why, why are we so interested in like post apocalyptic stories? But you know, it's like, would I really want to live in that universe? Probably not. But to experience it, maybe, you know, you know, a little bit, but uh, without the consequences, as you, um, as you said. my my final question that I'm curious about as well is: Do you have any favorite? characters of games that you've played and specifically any NPCs that you've come across in games have any
2: stood out for you? Oh that's that's a that's a really good one. Any any NPCs that have stood out for me? I mean there are so many like great characters. Like I have to really like focus in <laughs> putting on, you on the spot now. <laughs> um I have to say like the in this Golysium Kim really stood out to me yes. As a character. And it was a. It's a very, of course, it's a very direct character. It's right next to you and stuff. But he's, he's a lot
1: ready. of people's favorites, from what I've been gathering from people that I've spoken to and chatted to, you know, online as well. And a lot of them have said that friends of theirs really like him as well. That they really root for him. So yeah,
2: I think I think Kim Kim worked very well in that circumstance because it was also like this reference point and and like mm. someone that knows you because you don't know yourself, but mm. this person knows you. And I think that really, you know, it. I kind of depended on Kim to figure myself out. And I think that that thing about, oh, he's helping me to figure myself out, but I'm I'm also figuring him out during the process. I think that was what really worked well with Kim for me. Also, one other character that stood out to me, which was like one of the key characters in the Witcher 3 Blood and Wine DLC was the was the vampire elder character that um that appeared like towards the a bit or the end of the game. Um, and I think the interactions with that character was also like for some reason it really stood out to me um, that him and Geralt were friends like old old friends and, and and of course of course in the Witcher three I would say the Siri relationship um, was like the relationship with Siri and like the whole back and forth and like the character development I thought was insanely well done I have to say because I really I rarely feel that connected to a character and and Cyril was like one of those characters and there's these these other side characters as well I've, I've mentioned um, and there are probably a few more but it's really um, one of the things I noticed I mean this is a personal preference thing but I think liking companions and characters in choice based um, games is very different as mm. in um, in linear experiences, of course, you know you also get that am- amazing connection to certain characters and, and this and that. But I think companion character um, likableness and likeness, I think, is 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 very different because you go through a journey with these characters and they're with you, and that really really makes everything different. Especially for me, because they're there throughout my choices, they're th- through it all, and somehow they develop as well it's really difficult to handle i think that's why also mass effect 2 and dragon age mm. were really really amazing character games because those companions stuck through the journey and you had quests about them and choices about them and and yeah i think i think that really for me that really works um yeah yeah, no, great, great answers
1: there, there as well. Yeah, no, I can't. I still have to play the Witcher game. Still have to find the time, uh, <laughs> but I have read the books and really enjoyed them. And the series, I like the first series. Second series, still on the third series, but yeah, maybe the direction is going. <laughs> I know, people have issues with that. But you know, we'll we'll see what happens. But um,
2: yeah, I, I highly recommend the Witcher three. I mean, it's it's like a hundred hours. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it might take me five years to play, but <laughs> I've heard very good things about it. So hopefully. Um, well, yeah. thank you. Thank you so much, Ada. Is there anything else that you would like to mention that uh, that we haven't uh, covered? Because I know we have covered a lot. I've taken up a lot of your time.
2: Um, no, I think that's that's about it. I mean, you know, if you want to support us, you can uh, wishlist the Razia DLC on Steam. And if you are fans of Suzerain, and um, you want to, you know, support us further, we released a cosmetic, purely cosmetic uh, desk decoration item as a support item. It's purely optional, doesn't do anything. It's just to say thank you to us um, and thank you back to you. <laughs> um, so yeah, feel free to uh, wishlist or just mention us any kind of um, support if you're interested, goes a long way. And thank you for the opportunity again. It was a great chat. I cannot believe it's been two years. Um, yeah, it really it's... made me reflect back on life right now for a second.
1: <laughs> yeah, a lot has happened in those two years.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's, it's you know, it's in- incredible. Like we had some very specific um, emotional moments as well. Um, mm. where A lot of uh, fans from Ukraine had written uh, about the game that that they really saw a connection to what happened, especially, you know, in the games context of Rumberg and, yeah. and all that stuff. And they, they, that, yeah, we even um, it was interesting, uh, you know, not to like, you know, dive into a new discussion, but to quickly mention um, the morning will come quote was actually used by Zelensky um, last year at, at, a, at a press conference um, oh really? a yeah, and then a Ukrainian community member actually said, "Oh, this is the same word that's used in the game, um but whenever like you know the the war happens as well, like that you can say, and it's it was like really a crazy moment where reality and art clashed for a yeah. second incident, like coincidentally, and it's just yeah, it's um yeah we're that's that's why you know we want to keep making real games that that kind of touch on reality
1: yeah no absolutely you know that's yeah no it's certainly very emotional thinking about it but um but yeah no as, as i said great job on that on making such a great kind of realistic but entertaining game as well and i really really look forward to what you guys uh will do in the future and uh and i hope to have you again on the podcast uh to talk about your future games yeah um, i mean ex-
2: Hope Hopefully, everything everything will be fine in two years. But well, maybe it won't be two years before we talk
1: <laughs> <vlog> again. <laughs> we'll see. We can catch up every two years.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, thank you so much, Ada. The very best of luck to you and your team in the future. And uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And uh, and yeah, the very best of luck.
2: Thanks. Take care.
1: So that was my interview with Atta. I hope you enjoyed it. And huge thank you to Atta for coming on. Again, I am still currently playing through Suzerain 2.0 and I am really, really enjoying it and I would really encourage people to play it as well um, as it's just a fantastic experience. And I'm looking forward to the DLC again, 25th of March 2024, Kingdom of Rizia. And I'm really looking forward to that. So uh, again, thank you to Atta for uh, for agreeing to speak to me on this podcast and I really hope to talk to him again Uh, very soon and thank you to all of the other guests who've appeared throughout the year on this podcast and to everyone for listening Uh, it's been a fantastic year um hosted two um, two panels did an interview with Tony Warner in Croatia and hosted a panel in Adventure X I never thought I'd do either of those things so uh, so thank you for everyone for your support thank you to all the Patreon subscribers and just everyone who listens and who supports us it really does make a difference um, to us and thank you to all the team Thomas and Laura as well and, uh, and Kieran and Matt and Amy and Rose who Uh, joined as well um amy and rose hopefully here for them uh, again in the the new year and to jared who uh, edited as well at the beginning of the year um who really helped ensure the podcast continues so uh, that is the final interview of this year but there will be plenty more coming up next year and i will be joined once again by thomas and laura next week as we will be reviewing some of the latest adventure games we have been playing Uh, we'll be talking about Lake, Season's Greeting, Azazel's Christmas Story, uh, Stray Gods and uh, plenty more as well so keep an ear out for that next week so uh, until then uh, take care everyone and uh, I will talk to you very soon, goodbye (laughs)